Thanks, TJ. Man, it's good to be back. I'm, you know, we've, uh, we had our biannual business meeting a couple of weeks ago, and so I didn't really get to preach then, and then I had to lay out last week, uh, so I didn't get to preach last week, and so uh, I've got about three weeks worth in me. Uh, we're going to try to squeeze it all in the next 30, 35 minutes, and so I hope that you are uh, ready to hear a little bit of what we're going to do. This is, um, this is the first of our first preaching series. I know you're going, oh Matt, we've been talking about this since the beginning of the year. Uh, and we haven't. At the beginning of the year, if you've been following along or if you've been here, uh, we, we, we talked about first things first, right? We talked about some of the things, some of the firsts in scripture that God did. Uh, we talked about the first day. We talked about the first sin. And we talked about the first sacrifice and how God provided that sacrifice. Uh, we talked about uh, the first commandment. Um, and, and we kind of worked through a lot of different things. Uh, and then we had the biennial business meeting. So it, it kind of led us into this thought that is our theme for 2022, which is first. And I know that's a surprise for those of you who've been around here. Uh, it's not really because uh, we've kind of been talking about this and, and how this is going to apply to 2022. We, I have done this for the past I don't know, four uh, or so years now, I try to give you a theme each year that's going to define some of the things that we do, uh, kind of help direct some of the ministries of our church. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we did, uh, I believe we did intentional first. That was out of Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 15, I believe, 315. Uh, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. All right, we talked about living intentionally. Uh, the next year we talked about... Uh, greater vision because um, we needed to have this vision in 2020. It was a really easy year to kind of have a vision theme. Uh, and we talked about John chapter uh, 16, where it talks about um, you'll do even greater things than these. And then last year was immeasurably more. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, uh, where uh, God will do allegedly more than we could ever ask or imagine uh, in the church and through Jesus Christ, right? And we're going to get to the end of glory through all of that. So uh, we've continued to have these different themes. And, and last year, our, our hope and prayer through all of last year is that God would just do more. Uh, we, we wanted more. We wanted to be able to do more. We wanted him to give us his presence more. We wanted to be able to serve more. And so that was kind of what we pushed through all of last year. And then I told you at the biannual meeting that I wanted more than just more. Right? I, I, I was kind of an odd phrase and an odd thing to ask God for, but but what's more than more, and I believe it's first. When we begin to put God first, he's more than just more. More can just be leftovers. More can be, well, I, I've read my Bible more this week than I did last week because I didn't read my Bible at all last week and I read it for five minutes this week. Well, that's more, uh, but more is not, it's kind of an intangible number sometimes. And so what we want to do is we want to be able to get living with God first. And it all comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So each year, this focus is going to help us. Uh, and I believe this year, this focus is going to help us really kind of focus down into how do we give God first? What are some of the first things that we're going to do? Well, we're going to pray first. We're going to serve first. We're going to give first. We're going to love first. First, when life happens, we're going to give God first opportunity to respond. We're going to, we're going to give God our first. 
And so as we move through the year, you're going to see this. You're going to see this logo a lot. I'll have invitation cards that are coming. Uh, we're going to have some wristbands that are coming that just have this to remind us of, of what living first really looks like. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about a few of those. And today, what I want us to do is I want to, I want to kind of say from the jump, this is not a prosperity gospel mentality. When you read this verse, if you seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well, that some people would preach that as if you just do what God wants you to do, you're going to be happy, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, right? You're going to be all those things. That's not what it says. It just means that when we seek first, then these things are going to be added because these things are going to be God things, See, our desires are going to be changed to what he desires. What we want is going to be changed to what he wants. And so, yeah, we're getting all these things, but all these things are really his things. They're not our things. I didn't say that the wrong way. It's not that we're changing his mind. He's changing us. And so our focus for this year is just really going to be put God first. In every aspect, in every relationship, in every dynamic, in every uh, situation, we're going to put him first. And in that, we're going to learn, I think, some lessons through some things that we're going to do. So today, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to preach a sermon from two different perspectives of the individuals within the story. It's going to be, I think, interesting, but to be able to do that, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the story so you, you understand the dynamic of the relationship. So if you've got your Bible, let's go all the way to Genesis chapter 27. Uh, Genesis chapter 27, I, I wish... I think we've done a, a Genesis, we've done a creation series here. You remember uh, Christy's here. Christy uh, was on stage and she painted while I preached. That was incredible. I still have that painting in my office. Um, we've talked about uh, the life of Jacob before through Genesis. We've talked about all these different things. The book of Genesis is incredible. I could preach for years just in this book. We, we don't have time to go all the way through this story, but to get back to the beginning of it, we got to go back to Abraham. We know the promise that God made to Abraham right that that uh, that nations would come from him that kings would come from him and that the whole world would be blessed through him that's an incredible promise to Abraham well Abraham finally we're, I know we're fast forwarding through a lot so if you know your biblical history if you especially know Genesis just just buckle up because we're gonna go real fast Abraham finally has a child Isaac Isaac, uh, we know the story of Isaac. Remember, we take him up on the mountain and God provides the ram, so Isaac lives and all that great stuff. Isaac finally has uh, boys, twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And I say their names like that because that was the birth order, right? Esau was born first and then Jacob comes afterwards. Now, uh, there's something that really important happens within this birth order, and that's something that we don't necessarily connect on an everyday basis. But if you read uh, even your Old Testament, even into your New Testament, there's this idea of the birthright and the blessing. So let me, I've got this on the screen. It should be uh, up there. This is just something that's understand for you to understand. The blessing is the spiritual aspect, the birthright is the physical aspect. Now you're going, what are you talking about? So when the patriarch passes away, before this happens, he gives away the blessing and the birthright. The blessing is, is a kind of a symbolic movement of the presence of God from the patriarch to the next in line. 
The next in line is the firstborn son. He will be the leader of the family. He'll make decisions. Uh, he will, he'll be ultimately responsible for the rest of the family. And it's almost like God's presence moves from the patriarch to the firstborn. The blessing is this incredible moment. It's done when the father puts his right hand on the head of his child. The right hand was called your blessing hand. If you tie that all the way back in the New Testament when Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, or let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Those, that's an important phrase about how the blessing hand, you, should, you shouldn't even let your blessing hand know that you're blessing other people. It's really a neat uh, passage of scripture. Anyway, so the blessing is super important. It's, it's the most important aspect of the transference from one leader to the next. The second part of that is the birthright. Now, the birthright is the physical aspect. This is where half of all of dad's stuff goes to the oldest male child. Half. And then the other half gets split between everybody else. I did some quick math, so think of it like this. If your father... If your father left you a million dollars, wouldn't that be fantastic? Wouldn't that be great? If dad, uh, if dad left you a million dollars, you automatically get $500,000. You get half of all uh, the animals, half of all the, the servants. You get half of all the land and all the property and all the assets. Half of it is yours. But if you had nine other brothers and sisters, they had to divide up that other 500,000. They each would get about $55,000 a piece. If you had 14 other brothers and sisters, they would get about $35,000 a piece, a couple of sheep, a couple of goats, and you'd be sitting on your cool half meal. And it'd be a great day to be the firstborn child, right? Everybody says, yeah, I, I'm okay with that. I am the secondborn, but I am still the firstborn male in my family. So I'm all for it, dad, right? That's what we all want. But it causes a little bit of a, mm, to everybody else. But we all understand, we all live with this. We all understand this and we all get it. And I know that sounds like, well, kind of, I like the birthright's a little bit more expensive but, or a little bit more important, but really the, the blessing is what everybody wanted. So if you're familiar with this story, Genesis chapter 25 through 28 tells the story about how Jacob stole both the bless, blessing and the birthright from Esau. He kind of tricked him out of it. Esau had been out hunting. Uh, he had come in, the Bible said he was famished and Jacob was at home and he was making some stew. You guys remember this story? And, uh, and Esau comes in and says, I'm about to die. Give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, well, little brother, our big brother, I've got, a, I've got a bargain for you. This stew will only cost you your birthright. And we all from the outside are going, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Right? The, the half, half of all your dad's stuff for one bowl of soup. But look what Esau says. Esau says, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? And so Esau swears an oath to his brother, selling him his birthright for this cup of stew. And in chapter 27, the Bible tells about Isaac is old and his eyes are weak and Esau comes in and, and, and 
uh, Isaac says, if you'll go prepare a meal for me, I will give you the blessing. And all of us are reading this and we're going, finally, some redemption for Esau, right? He may have not have got the property, but at least he's gonna have the blessing. Dad's telling him, get ready, go fix some food, come back and I'll give you the blessing. Well, in a weird twist and we don't have time to get into all that, um, Isaac's wife grabs Jacob and says, hey, this is what's about to happen. Uh, I'll get the food ready. You go dress in your brother's clothes. Um, I'll get some, remember we put some animal skin on your arm because Esau was real hairy. We didn't even talk about that. All you hairy guys are like, yes. Uh, and so Esau comes, or Jacob comes in dressed like Esau. He's got hair on his arms and his father, not knowing who's who, blesses Jacob, blesses the younger child. Now, Esau finally comes back and, and once a blessing's given, it can't be taken back. And, and the Bible has this incredible, almost like you can hear the gut-wrenching, don't you have a blessing for me too? Esau asks his dad. And it culminates in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. It should be on the screen. It says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I'll kill my brother, Jacob. Justified frustration, justified anger. He'd been tricked out of one thing. He'd been, he'd been uh, kind of self-given up the other. Esau was mad. And Jacob does exactly what all of us would have done. Stands up for himself and he says, no, no, he doesn't do that. He runs, right? He takes off. He takes off running just like everybody else was because the Bible, we didn't even get into that. The Bible describes Esau as a man, of the out, like an outdoors man, and Jacob is a man who likes to stay at home. And that doesn't mean that he's weak. It just means that he's just a little bit more comfortable. He's not as comfortable as being out in the hunter as his brother is. And so his brother, he knows his brother can take him, Right? He knows it. And we all, listen, there's this moment in every house where you have two boys. There's this moment where that younger brother learns that that older brother can still kick his tail, right? And we've all been there. And Jacob didn't have to have that moment. Like he knew. He's like, I'm not picking that fight. And so he runs. He takes off. And, and, and I believe at this moment, something, something happened. There's a break in relationship. Obviously. And this is the kind of thing that kind of tenses some of our relationships too. Before I go any further, I, I have to say this, and we don't have time to get into the details of this, but just know it. When, when Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for the stew, he forfeited the blessing. He, he sold one and he, and he just basically gave up the other one too. Because if you're not going to treat the physical with honor, then you're not going to get the spiritual on top of it. And so the question has to be asked. What, what trivial thing are you trading something very, very important for? See, if we could go back if we go back to Esau in that moment, what he doesn't know is that from this point forward, when people describe God, they describe God using his brother's name. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. 
And, and we, from our side of the story, just want to scream out going, hey, no, 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 don't do that because God's going to be described by your name. How great would that be? And he traded something so holy and important for something so meaningless and trivial. What are you trading in your life? Are you trading, listen, are you trading time with your kids for time on your phone? Are you trading your marriage for images that you look, like, look at online? Are you trading your witness for a few drinks with the boys? Are you trading your integrity for popularity? What are you trading that's so important for something that's so not important? Once you trade something deep, once you trade something so deep, it's hard to get it back. That has nothing to do with my sermon, but I had to say it. Okay, let's keep going. Um, Esau's mad, Jacob is running, and he runs for 20 years. 20 years. Life happens over 20 years. Esau gets married, has a family. Jacob gets married and have a family. We don't have time to get into all that, but Jacob marries and eventually has 12 boys. We haven't got 12 by the time we get the rest of this story, but we know those 12 boys as the 12 tribes of Israel. So we understand that God had a plan through all of this, right? The 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you know your Old Testament history, that's a very important moment in, in all of the rest of the biblical history through the Old Testament. Then God says, after 20 years, we've got family, we've got Jacob accumulates wealth and he's got animals and he's got all this stuff. So does Esau. Listen, the, the blessing that Isaac gave Esau is that you will live by the sword your whole life. That was what he said. Esau goes off and he becomes this kind of this tribal warrior. Like he's just this man that he, he, was, he was kind of an outdoorsman to begin with, but he lived by the sword the rest of his life. And so Jacob goes off and he has a family and he gets all this stuff and he's kind of accumulated a lot of wealth. And then God does something that he never expected. Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. Go back. Go back to my relatives. But, but see, there's a problem with my relatives, and his name is Esau, right? The last thing we just read about Esau is that Esau wanted to kill me. I ran, and I, I, I'm okay. I, I'd rather just stay here. I got lots of stuff. I got lots of animals. I got lots of servants. I got, I got a couple of wives, and I got lots of kids. I'm okay right here. But God says, go back to your relatives, and I will be with you. Can you imagine the pretend scenarios that are running through Jacob's mind? Well, if I go, what's he going to do? Well, if I go, what's he going to say? Well, if he says this, I'm going to say that. Because we do this when we've had some kind of not in a relationship. And God says, go back to that. And you go, well, if, they go, if I go back, if they say that, I'm going to say this. And I'm going to say this. And I, well, I'm going to tell her and I'm going to tell him and I'm going to tap my foot. and I'm going to do all those things. We say all, even just in our own families. Listen, some of you get in an argument and get in your car and you have a whole argument without the other person in the car. And you're, you're I'm going to tell you this. I'll tell you that. And, or you're on a phone and you're making faces. Don't act like you don't make faces when you're on the phone. And you're, maybe your husband or your wife is getting on your nerves. And you're like, and you're making faces in the car. Because you're having these pretend conversations. Jacob's doing the same thing. 
but his are probably a little bit more escalated. I, don't, I hope maybe none of your marriages feel like the other person's going to kill you. Jacob is afraid for his life. If I go back, Esau's going to kill me. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? Genesis chapter 32, verse 3 through 5. Jacob gets his family together. and He gets a plan together. He sends some messengers ahead of him. It says this, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys and sheep and goats and manservants and maidservants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. Kind of buttering him up a little bit, right? You know, it's the language. My master, your servant, my Lord, right? There's humility here, but that humility is bred out of fear. Afraid of how he'd be accepted. Afraid of what Esau would do. And then the very next verse, I love it, verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau. And now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. You can almost hear the music change, right? It's almost like this dun-dun-dun moment uh, in Scripture. 400 men. Now, remember, I told you that Esau is this kind of tribal warrior. He's this man who's lived by the sword. These men who are coming with him are not little, weak, uh, insignificant servant men. These are warriors, trained, battle Proven men are coming to meet Jacob. And there's this relational crisis. One that I think that we have to figure out in our own life as well. What do we do when we have wronged others or when others have wronged us? What do we do? How do we respond? How do we react to these people? Because this is the reality. We, we live our lives and we interact with people and family and friends and ex-friends and sometimes ex-family. And, and oftentimes those relationships are so strained. And we've been at each other for sometimes years. Somebody's done something or there's been a snide remark or, or maybe an intentional act or a a unintentional but still preventable act has caused strain within a relationship and there's layers of baggage on top of it and you've held grudges for years and you're brought to a moment like Jacob and Esau where God says, go, go back to that relationship. I'll be with you. Or out of the blue, someone who's done that to you has come back to you. And they're trying to reconcile and make right something that has wounded you very deeply. How are you going to react? So this is why scripture is so important to read. I, mean, I can't tell you this. I talk about it all the time. But read your Bible. Because <laughs> the things that we deal with in our life are things that, that are explained very beautifully in scripture. I mean, this isn't disconnected. This is, this is just as relevant as it was when it was written. So from Jacob's perspective, right? Jacob's perspective, God's called him to go back. He's made this promise to him that he's going to be with him, but he's afraid 
Matter of fact, the very next verse after the 400 men are coming with him, verse seven, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. His thought behind this was, well, if I, if I have two groups, if he attacks one group, maybe the other group can flee and get away. At least half of my family and half of my stuff can survive. In great fear and distress. You know what those words mean? In great fear and distress, right? He's scared to death. He's scared. But look what he does in the face of fear. Really, for our context this morning, what he does first. Verse 9. Then Jacob prayed. Oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, oh Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you had said, I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. I believe with this prayer enters Jacob, probably for the first time, a sense of true humility. There's a recognition of knowing what he's done. Right? He's, he, didn't, he didn't necessarily say, I tricked my brother, but he knows his brother has right to be angry with him. It's a recognition of his position being only from the provision of God. Like I am unworthy of the blessing that I have been given. I only had my staff. Now I come back and I got two groups of people with me. And then there's a request for protection, but not. One commentary I read said it like this. In prayer to man, it may be ungenerous to remind another of a promise that's made and favors expected. But with God, each first act of grace and mercy is the pledge of continued favor. I love that. The first act of grace and mercy of God is that he promised he would take care of him. Before he ever did anything, that promise is enough. And Jacob's just coming and saying, listen, God, you already said that you're going to take care of me, and I believe it. I believe that you can do only something that you can do, and so I'm not worried about the outcome because you don't go back on your promises. Listen, church, I believe that when God leads you to reconcile a relationship, and he says, go do this, make this right, fix this issue, God's not leading you to that to leave you when you obey. God doesn't lead us to leave us. Does that make sense? He's not gonna ever look at you and say, hey, I need you to go take care of this and then go, let's just see what happens. He's not gonna do that. He's not gonna, listen, that's not in his character. Jacob already had the promise that I will be with you. And now he's just taking God at his word. He's just saying, listen, that's, I'm trusting you, God. You said you're going to be with me. I'm going to do this because you said to do it. And you, you're not going to leave me to us to, to leave me to deal with it. That's not how he works. There's something, there's something between you and a family member or you and a friend or a loved one. And God's leading you to take the first step in reconciliation and, and making it right. Know 
that he's not going to lead you to do that, to leave you when you obey him. He's not going to do that. We say, well, I don't know how they're going to react. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't even know if they want to reconcile. Listen, neither did Jacob. He, He didn't know. The last thing he knew, his brother wanted to kill him. But God said to go to your relatives. And so he's going. He obeyed. The person that you're going to go to, you you don't know how they're going to respond. They may not respond well. But here's a little insight. If God's told you to reconcile, it's not your responsibility to control how they react. That's between them and God. They may not receive you well. But that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be obedient. There's people in your life right now that you've hated for years. And you're going, I don't want to make it right. We're good. It's it's easy. We're in a good good spot because we don't even talk to each other. I haven't seen my family members in this many years. I don't want to see them anymore. We're all right. And God says, no, you need to go make that right. And you're like, I don't know how they're going to react. It doesn't matter. Your responsibility is to be obedient. When God says go, you go. How they react is between them and God. God said, go, Jacob went. Now, without having to read two more chapters in Scripture, because we just don't have the time, um, I'll summarize. Jacob gets a gift together, um, and, and he knows the, the men are coming. Uh, he's afraid. He divides them. He prays first, which is incredible. And then he gets, uh, which is a gift that everybody would love to have, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels and their babies, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 10 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. And he sends them in waves, right? Herd after herd after herd. And each herd that comes toward the 400 men and Esau, they're supposed to say something like, hey, this is a gift and your servant Jacob is coming. And then the next wave of animals come. This is a gift and your servant Jacob is coming. This is a gift and your servant Jacob is coming. He's like, he's doing it. I think he's doing it pretty smart. He's the younger brother and he's going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe pacify him. By the time he gets to me, he won't be as angry if he's got all this stuff, right? So he sends them on the way. Um, and then we don't have time he, he, across the river and, and he spends the night on the opposite side of the Jordan River and, and this is where uh, a very important part in the Old Testament history happens as well. Jacob wrestles with an angel. Y'all remember that story? Uh, he wrestles with an angel that night. Angel uh, basically dislocates his hip and, uh, and, and Jacob is holding on to him and what happens there, oh, I wish I had time to preach this. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Man, that, that pulls you all the way back to his desire for a blessing from his dad. And the angel, uh, angel touches his hip at that moment and says, your name will no longer be Jacob, it will be Israel. That's the reason why we call them the Israelites. It's an incredible moment in the, in the history of Israel um, because Jacob has a name change. When God changes your name, incredible things happen. There's all through scripture. We don't have time to get into all that. So, We had this name change, and then uh, we turn the page into chapter 33, verse 1. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Esau had a decision to make. Esau, who was cheated and who was deceived and who, uh, whose own mother, I mean, get into that layer of this, his own mother helped cheat him out of something that was rightfully his. Esau's coming with 
hundred men. The Bible says that Jacob sent his wife and kids ahead of him. And then in verse 3, he himself went ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. In verse 4, but Esau ran to meet Jacob. And he braced him and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. And we read that and go, what? Esau, this was your chance, man. You could have gotten revenge. You could have, oh man, just think about the, like the, this is, if we're, from Esau's perspective, this was the climactic moment. He could have just came up and just took him out and whatever he wanted to do. And he ran to him and he embraced him and he wept with his brother. Esau chose to forgive. Something that altered his life drastically. That took things away from him. Changed the dynamic of his relationship with his family. Esau chose forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6 says this. Jesus speaking, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Church, I I wonder how many of us are living with unforgiven sin because we're unwilling to forgive somebody else. I mean, Jesus says this. If you don't forgive people when they sin against you, then your father will not forgive you either. Did Esau have to forgive him? Did he he have to reconcile that relationship? I I don't guess so. But think of it like this. This is so great. Because of Esau's carelessness years before, Selling his birthright, forfeiting the blessing. He missed out, I told you, on having his name as the descriptive name of God. Father of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in this situation, Esau gets to be a foreshadow. He gets to be a picture of Jesus. He welcomed him. Somebody who had wronged him. Someone who had had been far from home who was repentant before God and who came back and and he welcomed him back with a tearful embrace. And church, that's what Jesus does for us. He, He sees us even after all that we've done and he welcomes us back. He had every right to be standoffish in relationship with us. Jesus had every right to say, hmm, I don't know if you really mean it this time or not. He has every right to say, no, you sinned deliberately against me. But this is not how Jesus acts like Esau acted. He runs to meet us. He embraces us and he weeps with us. Why in the world would we not do that to other people? From Esau's perspective, we want to sit on our high horse of judgment and say, well, let me tell you what you should do to make me feel better about you because you hurt me. That's not what Jesus does to us. Why would we do that to somebody else? 
Romans 5, 8, when God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have to choose to not hold grudges. We have to choose uh, to be willing to forgive. We have to choose to not exercise our own sense of judgment or punishment. In light of all that we've been forgiven for, we must forgive others. And we will forgive first. This year, a number of different times throughout the year, we're going to come back to this thought first. And one of the big ones is, are you going to be willing to forgive first? Esau chose to forgive. Here's my last thought and we'll be done. Do you imagine this response was not necessarily what Jacob was expecting? After all, he's hoping for it, but not necessarily expecting. Matter of fact, if you keep reading, uh, Esau uh, is trying to refuse those gifts. He's going, I don't need this. I got plenty of my own. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, says, I have already plenty of my own, brother. Keep what you have for yourself. But Joshua, or, uh, he continues to insist and, and he says, no, no, you have to, you have to, you have to. And, and Jacob uh, kind of finally twists his arm and he, he takes it. Um, and then he even offers to accompany Jacob back to Seir, where he came from. He says, come on, brother, I'll travel with you. And Jacob says, no, uh, this is verse 15. I think it's on the screen. Esau said, then let me leave my men with you. Why do that, Jacob asked. Let me find favor in uh, the eyes of my Lord. Don't do that. I, I'm okay. And it says, so that day Esau started back his way to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. I read that and I go, well, why did he do that? I, I looked at a map. If, if I, I didn't put it on the screen. It's miles away from each other. As a matter of fact, Sears is further south and Succoth is up north. And so they're, 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 he was coming, but he didn't, he didn't go all the way. Why, why did he stop short? I read that and I think, is this just another deception of Jacob? Won't Esau be upset? Right? Won't this bring back all those negative emotions? You're supposed to be coming to me. You're reconciling with me. Why did you not come back? You said you were going to come back, but you stopped short. The Bible doesn't even tell us why. It just says that he went uh, to Succoth for a little bit, stayed there, and then uh, he eventually ended up in Shechem, never going to Seir, where Esau was. So it begs the question, what would we do if we were Esau? Would we, would we run him down publicly? Right, well, it's just Jacob, that's what he does. He acts like everything's fine, but then he's going to continue to do whatever he wants to do. There he goes again, not keeping his word. Once a liar, always a liar. I knew I couldn't trust him. Would we go after him? <laughs> we, we, okay, we're going to avenge my anger now. If you, you lied to me to my face, we came back, we had this moment, right? We thought we were good, and then you didn't keep your word. I'm going to go, I'm going to go whoop your tail. <laughs> or will we just be done? That's what I think we're raising generations of individuals who just wash their hands of people. I'll just be done. I'm not even going to deal with them. I don't want to be around them anymore. We'll just pretend like they don't. Exists. We don't know. 
We don't really know Esau's response because the Bible doesn't tell us. But what we do know is the next time that Esau is mentioned is at the death of their father. Genesis chapter 35, verse 28 and 29. Isaac lived 180 years and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. We don't know the dynamic of their relationship. We don't know how they got along or didn't get along, but we do know that when it came down to it, they were together. And I believe this teaches us our last little lesson, our relational first for today. One that I heard years ago from, I wish I could say this was my own, but I, it's not. I, I heard this at a conference years ago. Um, and it stuck with me forever. And so I'm going to leave you with this. We're going to pray first. When things happen, we're going to pray first. We're going to look at that a little bit more in depth over the coming weeks. Um, we're going to forgive first. We'll continue to look through that over the coming weeks. And then... When there's a gap between what we expect and what we experience, we're going to choose to believe the best and not assume the worst first. So this happens in all of our relationships, right? We expect something to happen and it doesn't happen. There's this gap, what I expected versus what I actually experienced. You said you were going to be here, but then you didn't come. You said that you cared, but then you did this. You said that you were sorry, but then it happened again. When there's a gap between what we expect and what we experience, we have to choose. We're going to either choose to believe the best or choose to assume the worst. Some of you have had some, some deep-rooted hurts. And somebody says, well, I'm going to be here and they don't show up. And you automatically assume, oh, they're off doing this and this. Or, oh, they're doing this and that. Or they didn't even care. or whatever. We're going to stop. And we're going to believe the best first. Maybe, maybe something happened. Maybe I should call and check on them and make sure they're okay. Maybe, maybe there's something else going on that I don't know about. And they're handling it maybe the best way that they can. I'm going to believe the best before I assume the worst, they're a dirty, horrible, rotten person. Because that, listen, man, I'm so out of time. That is, that's what we want people to do for us, right? When we drop the ball or we do something that we, we want to come, oh, I've got all these reasons why. Trust me, it wasn't because I don't love you or I don't value you or because I don't honor our friendship or because I don't honor the relationship that we have. Uh, let me tell you about all the, we want you to believe the best in me. But man, we're real quick to assume the worst in others. See, there's a gap relationally. We have to choose to believe the best first. I'm going to believe the best first. Man, this didn't happen the way I thought it to, but I'm going to believe the best first. I'm not going to ruin their integrity. I'm going to believe them to know. I'm going to, I'm going to know them because I know them. I know who they are. I know how they operate. I know what they value. I, I know them. They didn't mean this. When there's a bump in relationship, maybe, maybe kind of out of the blue, somebody comes in and says something, it's like a dart. What in the world's wrong with them? Instead of assuming the worst and throwing darts right back, maybe we're going to believe the best. Maybe they've had a bad day. 
Maybe they didn't mean that. Maybe, that. maybe they're taking something out on me that doesn't have anything to do with me. We're going to believe the best before we assume the worst. I'm telling you, if we could do that within our marriages, within our families, and within our friendships, and our coworkers, and, and, and people that we love the most, we can believe the best first. It keeps us from these worst-case scenarios. It keeps us from these pretend conversations. It keeps us from assuming something that's so out of character of an individual that we know they're better than that. And we know that they value us more than that. And we know that they would never assume that in us. And it keeps us from holding grudges for years. If we say that relationships are important to us, then I believe we have to do these three things first. We have to pray first. We have to forgive first. And we have to believe the best first. There's volumes of history from this point forward of the Esau and his family and Israel and his family. But at this moment, in this moment, the brothers were together at their father's funeral because they prayed They forgave and they believed the best. Are you willing to have relationships like this? Are you willing to be obedient like this in what God's calling you to? Would you stand with me? I'm going to have TJ come. We'll have an invitation. This is an opportunity for you to just respond to the truth of God's word. Has nothing to do with me. Has nothing to do with uh, anyone really. If there is a relationship in this room. Because with this many people in the room, I'm not going to assume that there's not strained relationships on one side of the pew versus the other side. Maybe God's telling you to reconcile that right now. This is your opportunity. Just grab them. Say, listen, we need to talk. Don't leave after service. We need to sit down and talk for a second. This is your, listen, maybe your relationship with Jesus is the one that's strained. Maybe it's been forever and you've been far off for a long time and you're trying to come back. Know that he is waiting with open arms just to accept you home. If you need to talk to, who, talk to me about who Jesus is or talk to me about what it means to be a member at our church, this is an opportunity to do that as well. Listen, you respond to what God's taught you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word and how it is so poignant and relative and, and so like, in our face with the things that we deal with today. Father, help us to not just see this as a book or a story that doesn't have anything to do with our real life. God, it has everything to do with it. Father, for some of us this morning, there are some relationships that are strained, that are hurting, and that have been almost eliminated from our life because we've been holding grudges and unwilling to forgive. And Father, today we say that all stops. No matter how the other person is going to respond, our obedience is to do what you've asked us to do. So, Father, help us to make first steps in that. God, if there's somebody here that needs to talk or needs to just come to the altar and pray, Father, the altar is open for them. I'm willing to talk about whatever you are speaking to them in their hearts and in their lives. God, be real with us in the next few moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to-